welcome to the EPP podcast on the Digital Services Act. The new Digital Services Act aims to harmonise the existing rules on the removal of illegal content to set out liability for platforms and media users to increase legal certainty, clarify roles and define responsibilities for the actors in the online world. Now, at the end of November, member states in the Council agreed on their position for the law, which aims to modernise the e-commerce directive, which dates from 2000. The rules set out under the DSA are designed to clarify a common set of responsibilities for businesses providing services in the EU from anywhere in the world. The principle is that what is illegal offline should also be illegal online. It defines the clear responsibilities and accountability for the providers of intermediary services, such as social media and online marketplaces. Today I'm speaking to NEP Arba Koklari and Frederick Eriksson, who is Director of the European Centre for International Political Economy. Thank you both very much for joining me. Let me start, Arba, with you. What are we talking about when we talk about the DSA? Well, for me, the most important objective of this Digital Services Act is to harmonise the European digital single market. And we have... Uh, 27 different countries and we have European tech companies uh, who wants to compete uh, both in the European market but also globally and it's important that they can have one set of rules to uh, comply with rather than to have 27 different legislations uh, on um, um, online so I think it's important to uh, to make them uh, compete easily because we have a huge competition globally from the US, from China. And uh, I think it's important to have clarity. And the DSA will also provide uh, more legal clarity for all who, ha- who are providing digital platforms online because there are uh, too many people today who think that we have a Wild West online where users are treated differently and uh, companies do not understand um, what's going on um, in uh, e-commerce, in social media. So we need to have some kind of uh, clarity on that. And the third one, it's uh, the DSA is also made to make consumers uh, and users online safer and to be less exposed on uh, illegal content. Um, because today we have a situation where too much illegal content on social media and also uh, illegal products that are sold online are allowed to be spread or go viral. So uh, it has to be uh, more safety and, uh, and, um, uh, for, for them as well. And Frederick, to you, thank you very much for joining me as well. Tell me a bit about what are the main issues with the current status quo? I mean, the way I would put it is that I think I think the DSA itself tries to do a lot of different things. Perhaps you can say it, it, it tries to do too many things because we end up with a pretty unwieldy and sometimes confused uh, regulation that uh, may not be tailored in order to address the, sort of the specific problems that exist. Um, we do have issues about um, the singleness of the single market when it comes to various types of digital regulations. I think hopefully the DSA is going to be helpful, at least to an extent in that regard. But I don't think anyone 
is um, under the illusion that um, Germany, for instance, is going to change its net DG uh, legislation in order to just go with um, the DSA legislation when it comes to uh, freedom of speech and, and uh, illegal content. Similarly, France is, is going ahead with its thing. Poland, it's, it's doing its, its own uh, policy in these regards, which is pretty contradictory with other countries. So we're probably going to have uh, pretty fragmented situations even after the DSA. Um, where we started was basically with uh, the intermediary liability exemption. Um, something we had from sort of the initial e-commerce directive, which helped the growth and diffusion of platforms. Um, and what this means is basically that uh, platforms aren't liable for content that um, is, is being uh, shared on their platforms. Um, and while this principle sticks in the DSA, it now comes with a couple of modifications and a couple of conditions that I think... Uh, uh, will make it probably realistic that we are uh, going to see sort of a, a pretty more um, clumsy and more systematic uh, removal of content from, from platforms, which is also going to take down perfectly legal content. But platforms will do it because there is no other way for them to reduce the levels of risk. Uh, my my perhaps biggest issue when it comes to these issues about um, the culture of freedom of speech and where I hope we can also use some of the provisions in the DSA to start to build up more of an institutional structure uh, in uh, not just the EU but in member states that deals with these issues in, in, in a way that it's similar to the type of institutions that we've had in most countries for a pretty long time to deal with um, uh, freedom of speech issues, freedom of press issues. Um, so hopefully uh, we can we can have have with the DSA also more sort of a bottom-up development where we tailor these institutions all to deal with a digital age. Well, Frederick, I certainly hear your concerns regarding over-takedown, but the e-commerce wasn't exactly the same uh, when it was created back in 2000 because that directive, we didn't have the same social media or platform landscape that we have today. Mm, that's that's right. And I think that's also an important uh, reason for this uh, new legislation, uh, because uh, what many of the um, companies today uh, rely on is the 20-year-old e-commerce directive. And as you say, we didn't have any social media back then. Uh, so that's why that we, it's important that we update the rules, that we keep the best things that we've had on the e-commerce directive, which I think we are doing right now with the DSA, but also updating in the way to uh, understand the landscape today, but also in the future. It's important that this legislation is technique neutral and also take the aspect to be long-term uh, uh, legislation and not only a law that is uh, uh, made f to sort of uh, tackle Facebook or Google because in 5, 10, 15 years we might have totally different platforms uh, or companies that are uh, very big and that have a lot of users and consumers. When we talk about the size of platforms and, and the impact they have, are we straying into the area 
of competition law? I mean, indirectly, perhaps. I mean, my, my critique of the DSA has basically been that you, you're going to hand the big platforms an advantage with the DSA, not, not because you're stepping into sort of direct competition policy issues with the DSA. I mean, that comes more with the Digital Markets Act, but because you build in uh, different uh, uh, size definitions for um, how much you're going to be exposed to regulation. And if it's something that we've learned over the past 15 years with lots of digital regulation is that, you know, Facebook, Googles, and many other, they are extraordinarily good at flipping these regulations around and use them against competitors. Um, so I think that that would be that would be my sort of competition policy specific fear. And Arba, let me ask you, what would you say regarding accusations that we do hear from time to time that the EU is US bashing when it attempts to control these large tech companies? Well, I understand that criticism, but I would say that you need to separate the DMA and the DSA. The DMA is. Uh, clearly made to uh, address the the competition situation that we have in the uh, European market today, while the digital DSA is more of okay, what uh, what responsibilities uh, shall the platforms have for the content that users post online and the products that traders sell online? And I would say that. I have been addressed with uh, by many stakeholders during the uh, DSA process and basically all of them, uh, mostly all of them, both the biggest platform, the American platform, the European platforms and uh, companies, uh, they have all been very positive that we are, okay, finally making some kind of uh, clarity and uh, set of rules for everybody. So it has been... Uh, a positive um, reaction to to many of the stakeholders, and uh, I, I think I think that's a good way, uh, actually. So I wouldn't say that the DSA is uh, is made to tackle American companies. I would say the DSA is uh, is made to um, to make sure that uh, what is online offline is also implemented online in, to, in the today's world, which is highly digitalized. Frederick, let me take you, turn to you to ask, when it comes to illegal content or in harmful content or even objectionable content, what sort of efforts do we need regarding illegal and harmful takedowns? How do we make a distinction? Oh, I, I think, I think um, it's extraordinarily difficult to make that distinction. And you can see that right in the DSA. Uh, I mean, the problem here is that we don't have uh, a European uh, free speech code. Um, what, what you're allowed to say in Arbas in my home country isn't the same thing what you're allowed to say in, for instance, Germany. Um, so we have national structures that basically defines um, sort of the content and the boundaries of freedom of speech. Uh, so the DSA itself basically says that it cannot go in and define uh, what is illegal content apart from sort of intellectual property violations. Um, so in that sense, it's different, for instance, from, from uh, uh, the terrorist, uh, the online terrorism legislation, which actually came in with a very clear definition of what it is that it is illegal. 
So now we are in, in basically a, a, a situation where since we cannot deal with the constitutional or the fundamental principle here, we need to try to tack it in a commercial policy way, which is what DSA is trying to do. And, and it, it gets a bit ham-fisted and a bit clumsy because it, these are not policies which are designed in order to deal with uh, freedom of speech issues. So we, we end up right now, which I think is an extraordinary, strange situation, um, where we demand sort of a lot more policing and content moderation from especially the large platform or, or, or the platforms that do have significant advertisements revenues, because they are basically the ones that DSA can, can attack. All the other ones, which doesn't have any revenue, uh, I don't think they have anything to fear from, from the DSA, DSA itself, because... EU, this EU legislation is not going to be able to do anything with them. So I think this is similar to basically if we would say, all right, so we have a problem with um, a lot of hate speech um, in Germany. So what we're going to do is to look up the, the three biggest newspapers in Germany, and then we're going to start to force them to uh, apply different standards for what is allowed to be printed in the newspapers. And then they would say, well, hang on, we don't print anything of it. We actually have journalists, we have editorial standards, which, uh, which uh, uh, basically makes us uh, competent to take anything out from our, our um, newspapers that would be even remotely close to hate speech. What you should look at is all the other ones, the smaller outlets or the, uh, the, the type of communities where uh, we cannot reach. They don't read our, our, our newspaper. Our policies cannot cannot address them in any type of way. And this is the situation we're beginning to get online now, which is that Facebook, uh, YouTube, and all the other ones, they are policing even more um, than they did in the past. If we look at, for instance, the, uh, the Code of Conduct review that came last year, basically says that 90% of all illegal content is taken down within 24 hours, and most of the other legal content comes down uh, pretty soon afterwards. Uh, the problem we have is that a lot of the legal content, if we talk about hate speech and violations of, 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 of the freedom of speech, it happens on other platforms, much smaller platforms. It's been migrating out to different outlets that won't be that much affected by the DSA. So, and I think this is the problem in a similar fashion that the hate speech problem we have in printed media is not going to be sort of in Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung or the Tagesspiel. It's going to be sort of in small Nazi outlets or um, uh, Daesh outlets produced by people or certain outlets that are hardly read by the public at large. So, Arba, as Frederick pointed out, certain platforms like Garb, 4chan, etc., all based well outside the EU in places as remote as Manila, where it's a, a, an effort to reach them. What sort of tools will the DSA have to tackle these sort of dark net platforms? Arba, what would you say are the strongest tools that the EU will get and how will they work? Well, on several ways. Uh, one way is that third country platforms uh, who operate in Europe, uh, they need to also be complied with the DSA. And that's a new change from what we have today. And secondly, um, I mean, the DSA is made to make sure that platforms more promptly uh, delete illegal content because Today, it's been very arbitrary decisions, and uh, that's not good either for the smaller businesses uh, or the uh, consumers. So 
Um, I mean, I think we will not never be able to stop everything that is harmful or bad on internet, but that's not the purpose of the DSA either. Um, I mean, if we would have legislated that um, everything bad on Facebook should be removed quickly, I mean, then we start to uh, stop free internet, then we will have... Uh, platforms over removing um, and the freedom of speech that would be very seriously jeopardized. So that's why I have been at least very uh, eager to make sure that it, we only tackle illegal content um, and not everything else that in, is on the gray zone. And I would like to ask a question to Frederick also. Uh, I mean, do you think that if we should be forcing platforms like Facebook to to have that type of content on that platform, on their platform, as you're mentioning. Um, so, what is your alternative instead? Uh, my my point is that platforms themselves will have to choose their own community standards and policies. And Facebook goes for one, YouTube for another. Um, so, I I I mean, I, I think sort of there is. A, a, a baseline level, which is that you comply with the law. Uh, also, when it comes to what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. And then it's up to the platforms themselves to define um, where they're going to draw the boundaries between uh, what they think is a good standard for a culture of openness and what is not a good standard for culture of openness on, online. I think the, the, the problem with the DSA um, uh, is that it cannot go in and define what is illegal to say because that's a national competence and there is no European free speech code. Um, so then we end up rather trying to deal with the problem through commercial policy legislation. So what we're basically saying, sort of if that, if Gab or 4chan or many of the other new platforms where a lot of the hate speech is migrating, um, they cannot be reached by uh, European commercial law either. So then we are basically trying to say, so if you, if 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 you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to fine you, um, and the fine is going to be based on a turnover. But many of these platforms they don't have any turnover. They don't have any standard revenues of the way that Facebook and YouTube have. So, so for them, it it isn't much of a threat to say that uh, uh, they're going to get fined uh, because they don't have any money. <laughs> They don't have any revenues that you can find find them for. Exactly, it's hard to follow the money if there is no money to follow. Yeah, yeah. but I, I can comment that. I mean, that's that's why this legislation is uh, made so that the biggest platforms um, have high uh, obligations on that they need to take responsibility for their platforms and the content that is spread around there. While the small uh, small platforms, small companies uh, are going to be exempt from many of the obligations, and I think that's that's fair. And what are your expectations if the DSA is implemented? Is this a cultural problem or a technological one? I mean, I think it's both, um, and I think we we need to have a much stronger sort of merger between the institutions that we have created nationally to deal with. Uh, freedom of speech issues for a long time, uh, dealing, of course, mostly with print and broadcast media, and merge those with uh, what happens online through um, through online or digital media. Um, and that is, it's there are cultural aspects to it, and there are certainly technological aspects to it as well. But 
sort of in in all shapes and forms this this merger is happening anyway in real time and i think it would be highly beneficial if we also can get sort of a regulatory structure um, which uh, makes those two parts uh, much more intimate with each other rather than we go ahead with sort of trying to develop something on 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 the national institutions that we have for the regulation of 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 print and broadcast media and and something that uh, that that we have for the technological or online parts uh, what i would add to that is um, ideally we would do that with uh, uh, policies that deal directly with issues rather than we go through various types of commercial policies in in in, in trying to deal with them um, then there are, of course, lots of other things when it comes to the culture of freedom of speech in societies today. But I think they are they're a bit different. And and the important point here is that we get impulses from uh, from from governments and from regulators, uh, which uh, uh, allows for uh, different private enterprises and private media to choose the type of standards they like to have for themselves. Well, final thoughts then. We're trying to cope with societal communication, in essence. Do we need complementary action through, for example, education to children regarding disinformation and so on? Uh, you have to understand the, the, the context here. I mean, we have, um, uh, we have an economy that is more and more digitalized. We have a huge global competition um, where I think America... And also China and Asia are, are going very fast when it comes to um, innovation and digitalization. While we from Europe, I think we are lacking behind in this competition. And at the same time, the whole world, or many, 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 legis uh, many legislators uh, across the world are looking, okay, we have a lot of online platforms, social media, uh, online marketplaces, other kind of digital services that are today, today the mainstream and the one who are driving uh, much of the economies. But we do not have legislation who, who can tackle all of these problems that are also uh, rising uh, in, in this new economy. So the whole world are actually watching uh, what is the European Union now doing. And I think that I hope... Uh, what I had at least and the EPP have tried to uh, work for is to, to see that we have, that we make sure that we have a legal clarity for everyone who are operating and having digital services in the European market. And uh, that we have uh, promote competition for the small, medium-sized enterprises uh, in Europe, that it's easy easier to follow the rules in Europe, uh, easy to implement the rules in Europe. And for me, it's been very important that we do not create new GDPRs, but uh, create more innovation in Europe. Um, so both on an uh, innovation and competition perspective, we want to have legal clarity and long-term perspective for everyone who is uh, uh, having their businesses in Europe. On the other hand, we need to make sure that also the consumers feel more safe and protected in the digital economy. That's why we say it's important that illegal content and illegal products are not 
flourishing uh, these online platforms. And um, and I really hope that uh, this legislation will make Europe become more competitive uh, towards the other uh, countries and regions. And I hope that we will see uh, a better climate online. But I don't think that the DSA will sort of solve everything that is bad on Internet. Uh, but I think uh, the DSA will make the Internet more uh, better and uh, and safer. Thank you both very much for talking to me today and to our audience. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Do stay tuned for another EPP podcast coming soon.